Welcome to episode 148 of Between the Times, a podcast of Christ Church, for Christ Church, and for all who would care to listen in. We're glad to be with you here today, and uh, it's a blessing uh, to be here again with my uh, dear friend and co-host, uh, Dr. Gabriel Williams. Good to see you, Gabe. It's good seeing you. And uh, also, we have a very special guest uh, today, uh, Reverend Sebastian Heck, uh, here all the way from Heidelberg, Germany, to do this one podcast. So, <laughs> good to see you, Sebastian. Excited to be here. Well... God's Word uh, says, and these will be familiar words to uh, most of our listeners, God's Word says in Matthew 28, all authority, and this is of course Jesus prior to his ascension into heaven, Jesus says, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I'm with you always to the end of the age. That, of course, is uh, an essential verse for the the mission of Christ Church Presbyterian. We are called to make disciples. Uh, We are called to make disciples here in Charleston and to the ends of the earth. And one of the blessings that uh, we have is to uh, support and pray for various pastors and and missionaries around the world. And uh, one of those uh, is here with us today. Uh, Sebastian Heck. And we're so excited to have uh, you here today with us, Sebastian, and we're looking forward to hearing from you. Our our aim uh, here in this first episode, there will be two episodes in this interview with Sebastian. We want uh, you to get to know him better uh, as members of Christ Church, so you know how better to pray for Sebastian, and you'll know him better. And, and perhaps you'll get to meet him or visit with him over the next couple of weeks as he will be here until the 1st of March. He's working on a a book project and uh, spending some time with uh, the leadership and congregation of Christ Church. Uh, But we hope this this episode uh, will help you to get to know him better, and then the second episode, getting to know the ministry in Heidelberg better. So, Sebastian, it's great to have you here with us today. Thank you. Thanks for having me. I thought we could start by uh, just having you share with our our listeners um, a bit about your your life, uh, sort of where you grew up, and uh, uh, perhaps if you have a, a, a religious background, you know, what um, what that was constituted of. Uh, you know, a lot of folks have never been to Germany before and uh, are unfamiliar kind of with that, that context, and so maybe just a little bit about your life. Yeah. I was... Uh Born and uh, raised in the what we call the Black Forest area of Germany. Um, I grew up in a um, Roman Catholic family. My grandparents were still uh, faithfully attending Mass. My parents not so much. But I grew up as, in my generation, probably uh, 25 or 30 percent uh, did as Either you were raised Protestant or Roman Catholic. Um, that didn't mean a whole lot for me, what that meant. And I realized later that even though growing up Roman Catholic, I had not actually uh, heard the gospel or had any grasp of what uh, biblical doctrine is. So uh, that changed when I was around 18. I was an exchange student in, in, in the United States, and I um, providentially bumped into uh, believers my age with a vibrant faith, just getting together, studying the Bible. And Where were you? In Philadelphia. In Philadelphia. Yeah. Yes. Okay. Mm-hmm. 
So there are Christians in Philadelphia. Is that what you're <laughs> yes, yeah. there were at That's that great. point. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah, and uh, I became a believer during that time, and um, all of that was very exciting and very new, and even more difficult than going back home to Germany mm-hmm. and, and trying to reorient my where I was on my journey, so to speak. Um, I knew I wasn't a Roman Catholic anymore, certainly not of the cultural kind that I grew up as. So I looked into the Protestant option, went to a Protestant church. There was the big Protestant uh, state church in Germany with congregations in every city and big, usually big, beautiful church buildings. Um, I met a couple dozen old folks in that church and uh, I found out that there's not a whole left, a whole lot left of um, orthodox Christian beliefs. It was about all kinds of things, but not about the gospel again. So to give a picture to our, <clears throat> our listeners, perhaps have never been to Europe, you're walking into a, a beautiful historic building that seats thousand people. Yeah. And there are a couple dozen elderly people. Yeah. And that's it. Yeah, yeah. very often. Yeah. Right. And um, yeah. so it's a it's a sad picture. It, uh, those churches were once full. It is. Uh, and uh, yes. now are um, are without life, um, without yeah. without a future really. Um, yeah. And it shows it shows too how uh, false doctrine kills churches. It doesn't mm-hmm. it doesn't strengthen them. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean the numbers the low numbers attending any given worship service in the Protestant state church, that's one thing, but um, the lack, absolute lack of uh, a hold of the gospel and of the Christian doctrine is a, another big, big problem, of course. So I kept looking around and I found some broadly evangelical churches. There are some of those. There are actually quite a lot of those around in Germany. Um, people say less than 1% of the German population would be evangelical believers. Um, I was part of a uh, Baptist church for a few years. And um, yeah, I then um, eventually sensed a calling to preach the gospel. And um, I was looking into options for seminary. I found a seminary in Germany, started my seminary education so let's let's stop there for just a minute. There will be people listening to this that are considering ministry, that are thinking that perhaps they're. I was just with one of our members yesterday who was telling me that he's uh, sensing a call. He's feeling mm-hmm. a pull to to pastoral ministry. Uh, here you are um, in in Germany. Um, literally ninety nine out of one hundred people you meet uh, and know are not Christians. And and you're sensing a call to to the ministry. What? Um, how did you know that? What what was going on in your heart, uh, and, and perhaps in some of the reading you were doing that that gave you that sense of calling? We know it's the spirit of God ultimately, but yeah. uh, what was going on in your heart and in your your mind? Well, one important aspect, and I don't consider that unspiritual at all one important aspect of this sense of calling that kind of crept up on me you know two years before that I 
I wouldn't have imagined ever thinking along those lines. One important aspect <coughs> is just the sheer necessity of having uh, gospel yeah. preachers. So in a sense, uh, thinking about considering whether I had a, whether there was a calling for ministry was all, was immediately a missionary calling. Um, so I knew um, I couldn't just walk into a church later and they would welcome me as their senior pastor, but it was more of a missionary mindset and attitude because of my own experience, the experience of many uh, in my generation of even those who were interested in finding out about the gospel and about um, Christian doctrine and not being able to, just not getting any answers. Um, I sense a strong calling to to be trained for the ministry and to, to be a, a pastor, preacher, missionary. Then there were other aspects, of course, it came in even as I started considering seminary. Um, I really felt like um, doing theology, reading theology, studying theology, the history of theology, of exegesis, treating the Bible um, in exegesis and in preaching really um, fascinated me and um, it still does to this point. <laughs> I hope so. <laughs> yes. Yeah. And then, of course, uh, being st still fairly young believer, I talked to my who was then my pastor and other people in the church and wanted to know, you know, what is involved in being a pastor. And um, so I also sought the, the counsel of people in the church. Well, at this point, you have God providentially guiding you into believers in a country where uh, believers are rare. But how did you come to reformed convictions in the midst of all of that happening? Yes, another unlikely but providential story. I ended up at a, I would consider it a broadly, then it was a broadly evangelical seminary, small seminary in Germany. When I was there, it was still um, holding to a conservative view of scripture that has changed too, I found out mm -hmm. later, but it certainly was not uh, a reformed seminary. It was broadly evangelical, Baptist, um, and the more I learned, the more I studied, the more I became reformed, despite mm -hmm. the... Um, the seminary education really in many ways. Um, they were not teaching any reformed doctrine. As a matter of fact, they were pretty hostile uh, towards it. Mm. But I just doing library duty, I happened across books that were still there in the library, John Calvin being one of them and some other more modern um, classics of the reformed faith. And that's how um, I started going down that road, being, being convinced more and more of Reformed um, doctrine. I wasn't Reformed at that point because I found out soon and I, the conviction grew uh, in my heart that you can't be Reformed just from reading books. Mm -hmm. um, so I was very hungry to see all of that new theology, well, new new to me theology that actually has been around for a long time, to see that um, materialize and being worked out in the context of a local church. But the more I looked, the less I found. 
There was no um, reformed, confessional reformed church in all of Germany to, to be found. Oh, yeah, that's, that's extraordinary. Um, it's an important point you make that you cannot be reformed by just reading books. Yeah. Um, there, there are a lot of people today that would claim to be reformed and who are disconnected or loosely connected to a church. Yeah. Um, they would claim to be reformed. Um, why is that, that claim nonsensical as it concerns... Uh, the reformed uh, expression of, of biblical Christianity? Well, the reformed faith is defined in many ways and is defined by reformed confessions, but reformed confessions are not a compendium of theology. They're not a, a systematic theology handbook. They're rather a a set of core doctrines that also translate in, into life, <clears throat> into the life of the church, into the way uh, worship is being, uh, the way uh, the church worships, into requirements for membership, into how the sacraments, what the sacraments mean and how they are practiced, church discipline, church membership, and all of these issues, and all of that is very practical. Yes. So, when I first set foot in a um, Reformed Presbyterian church, in this case, in, in the United States, um, it was like many pieces that, that I had studied about and read about were finally coming, into, coming together and, and um, like everything that had been black and white suddenly was turning into color. Um, so that was quite a, an important and neat experience. Mm -hmm. Now, um, I'm just thinking of uh, one sort of fun fact before we get out of your kind of uh, your, your youth. Um, you and your dad uh, used to play in a, in a German band. Yes. Yeah. Okay. Uh, I used to call it Umpa Band. Yeah, the famous Umpa <laughs> yeah. Band. Yes. Right? Polka uh, and marches and everything. Polka, marches. And what yep. instrument did you play? I played the flute. The flute, right. Mm -hmm. And your dad, what did he play? He played the tuba. The tuba. Yes. Okay. Mm -hmm. So From when the you, smallest and biggest. <laughs> so when you all practiced, you probably didn't practice at the same time at home. No, nope, uh, not. He would overpower you. <laughs> oh, we did play some. We did play together sometimes uh, during Christmas time, accompanying Christmas carols with a tuba and a flute. <laughs> <laughs> ah, that'd be an interesting combination. Um, well, great. Uh, so you then. Uh, began going to a kind of a non-denominational seminary. Yes. Is that right? Mm -hmm. Tell us about that. Well, it, it was a good education uh, in the beginning. Uh, again, as I said... Um, now, where was that? What town was that in? It was close to Marburg in Germany. Close to so Marburg. Central, yeah. central Germany. Okay. Um, connected with the Evangelical Free Churches, which some might be familiar with. Um, they were strong on upholding um, the, the, well, sort of conservative view of scripture, at least. They were strong on the languages, original languages, Greek and Hebrew. And um, so there are many things I'm thankful for that I learned there. But when it came to um, 
actual theology, like systematic theology. Um, again, my path went uh, into a different direction. And that kind of came to a head towards the end of my seminary education, the five years uh, of seminary. I, at that point, I was, I knew there was no way back from, from the reformed direction. And um, at the same time, also my views on baptism had changed. Mm -hmm. And that was, I guess, the straw that broke the camel's back that at the seminary and in these kinds of evangelical churches, they basically told me, well, with those reformed views, you don't have a, a place anymore. You can't be a pastor. Um, and that kind of set me on, a, on an interesting track to the question of the role of the confession in the, in the church, evangelical or otherwise, um, because for one, these kinds of churches and even the seminary, they claimed they didn't have a confession. But when I changed my view on baptism, suddenly they had a confession. <laughs> it wasn't written down anywhere, yeah, but they exactly. had one. Not really, yeah. no, but uh, there were very um, severe consequences. Yeah, and that's a, that's a really important point, I think, for our listeners. Uh, many will, of course, already know this, but uh, perhaps for the uninitiated, everybody has a confession that's right. of what they believe. For most, it's not written down anywhere, and it can change pretty often, <laughs> or is not very well articulated, uh, can be confusing. But in the Reformed uh, heritage, uh, since the days of the, of the Protestant Reformation, uh, we have confessions that are written down uh, and approved by the church, and have been for centuries. They're scrutinized. Uh, they've been taught, uh, they are embraced, they are a standard of doctrine for the church. Uh, and so that's an important point, I think, as it concerns the seminary. Suddenly they uh, were saying, no, you don't have a place here anymore, even though they didn't have anything uh, written down as a standard uh, to say that um, it was something they had on their minds and in their hearts. Um, and so you were no longer uh, to be a part. Uh, we we believe it's important to have a confession so that we know what we believe and why we believe it yeah. and can apply that in the life of the local church. So, so we here at Christ Church, of course, uh, hold to the Westminster Standards, uh, the Westminster Confession of Faith, the Westminster Larger Catechism, and the Westminster Shorter Catechism. And in Germany, in Sebastian's uh, a small growing denomination, uh, they hold to the three forms of unity, uh, which are the Heidelberg Catechism, which many of you will, will know and be familiar with, uh, also the Belgic Confession, and the Canons of Dort. So, so you're, Sebastian, you are uh, towards the end there of seminary, and if I remember correctly, you uh, went to Westminster, Philadelphia. for Yes, I, I, I knew I had... There was a lot I had yet to learn about Reformed theology and also knew I had to look for Reformed churches um, to be involved, to become a member and all of that. So that led me also reading, uh, coming across names such as John Murray and Cornelius Van Til and a few other names, Gerhardus Voss and, and all that tradition. The name Westminster Seminary um, 
kept popping up in my reading. So I didn't know much about it. I didn't know anyone who'd, who'd gone there. I sent them a letter. Those were the times. <laughs> and uh, telling them a little bit about my story and told them I want to be trained further. I pretty much, I had my MDiv at that point, but I wanted to go on in my studies. I couldn't afford anything. Um, would they allow me to study? And they did. They gave me a scholarship. And um, so yeah. I, I was married at that point, had um, two small children, and we moved to the Philadelphia area. Wow, wow, that's, that's wonderful. So uh, what happens from there? Well, two things. Of course, I, I studied uh, theology, I went in depth in many ways in uh, Reformed theology, and also what I had always been longing for for many years, uh, we got involved in a Reformed church. We yes. got involved in, a, in the Presbyterian Church in America, PCA. Yes, okay. And at one point, you crossed paths with uh, Will Traub. Yes. Uh, MGW missionary in Germany. I think he was maybe running a study center or something at the time. Yes. Uh, there, uh, kind of an evangelistic work. Um, and that was kind of the connection that uh, brought you and I together as friends and uh, to mm -hmm. work together in the future. Um, tell our listeners about that, about, um, about Will, Traub, and then about... Uh, you know, where, where we met and, and kind of how that went forward. Well, Will Traub was a, uh, a good friend and he, he had worked, he's an American who had worked in Germany for many, many years in different um, settings. And he, uh, we got to know each other and I told him that um, I was looking, I'd been a member in the PCA for, for a while and I was looking for ways to well, first, have my sense of calling confirmed and then also to finally be ordained. And so we, we thought, about, thought about that and talked about that and he um, made the connection with you, John. So we actually, he took me to a um, pastor's um, fellowship, the Twin Lakes Fellowship in Mississippi where lots of PCA pastors um, get together. And for me, that was a wonderful experience. And he also introduced the two of us. Yeah. And I think it was in uh, 2007. About 2007. Yeah. And Jackson, Mississippi and Heidelberg, Germany are very similar, right? So you know, <laughs> that's probably right. Come there. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Yep. That's good. So be, so uh, you skipped over this, but at some point, you got married and you had children. So, yes. <laughs> discuss how you met your yep. wife. <laughs> well, we actually met in high school, um, oh, okay. and she was not impressed. Initially, <laughs> I, I came back from the uh, from the U.S. Uh, from my year as an exchange student. I came back as a probably overzealous uh, young convert, new believer, and uh, I tried to evangelize pretty much everyone at the school in my new in the new class that I joined and she was in that class and she was I guess one of the early victims of <laughs> many of my immature attempts at, um, uh, at talking with people about uh, my newfound faith and um, 
So initially, she, she was like many others, um, fascinated by by a young German who would suddenly um, be a strong believer, which is again yeah. some, was something that was pretty rare. Most people uh, probably haven't met met uh, anyone else like that, and so it kind of cooled off. But later, uh, towards the end of um, uh, school, our uh, gymnasium, our high school equivalent, uh, we, she was more and more interested and we spent a lot of time talking about the faith mm-hmm. and she also ended up um, coming to the church I was then attending. She also made professional faith, became a believer mm-hmm. during that time mm-hmm. and we got married um, maybe a year or two years after that. That's so good. pretty, pretty young still. Yep, that's wonderful. And um, we're fast forwarding just a little bit, but uh, you have three kids. Yes. And uh, tell us about your kids. We have two girls. They're twenty-one and nineteen, and uh, the youngest is um, seventeen. They're Sophia, Tabia, and David. Is my son or son? Yes. And um, what a blessing it's been for uh, Marla and I to. Uh, get to know your family and uh, spend time with you over in Germany as well and um, yes. uh, for our kids to know each other and um, it's been a real real blessing um, so you come to Twin Lakes Fellowship uh, Will Traub comes up to me and says John I have someone I want you to meet um, this is Sebastian Heck uh, and I think probably he had briefed me on you before uh, but at the time I had been literally praying for opportunities to do something for the Lord in relation to Germany. My my mother, uh, of course, comes from a German Lutheran heritage. Mm-hmm. My my great grandmother was German, um, and had moved over when she was older into the Midwest, the United States. My my uh, grandmother grew up in a German speaking Lutheran church in mm-hmm. the Chicago area. You know, yeah. and I grew up Lutheran Church Missouri Synod. Um, and, and so, you know, always had um, a, a love for uh, my German heritage, as well as, um, of course, uh, as a Christian, a love and appreciation for uh, Martin Luther and, um, and that whole uh, uh, glorious Protestant tradition. Um, so we met and then we began thinking about how we could assist, because you talked earlier about how in Germany there was no reform denomination. And yep. so there was no clear path to ordination because there was no church to be yep. ordained in. Yep. And so what we thought was, well, what if we had you come over to Douglasville, Georgia, which is where I was at the time, fulfill requirements for the internship because you'd already done seminary and then be examined and, uh, and ordained in our presbytery. And so uh, it's extraordinary, really. I mean, here's uh, a German... Um, and their family over in the States in West, West part of Atlanta doing internship. And then you going through the trials of ordination examination, and then uh, being ordained as a member of our presbytery, the Northwest Georgia presbytery. And you were literally a staff member of our church as a church planting pastor in Mm -hmm. Heidelberg, Germany. Uh, So, uh, and, and more churches are doing this kind of thing, which is great because there needs to be really more of an emphasis on, um, this kind of thing within the local church and not yes. just passing it along to, to mission <clears throat> agencies, right? Which is something we've been thinking mm-hmm. through a lot with our session. Yes. 
So uh, you remained uh, a, a staff member, as it were, um, a minister uh, of our church, though laboring in Heidelberg as a church planter. And then uh, eventually uh, you uh, had elders and uh, were able to, uh, and also another church plant in Hanover, and so you were able to form your own consistory, your own session, and become uh, your own church, as it were. Yes. Uh, mm-hmm. And so we're going to talk about that next time uh, mm-hmm. on our next episode. Uh, but it's been great to um, to get to know you, um, uh, for our listeners to get to know you, Sebastian, better, to know how to pray for you, uh, to feel like they know you a little better as one of our missionaries at Christ Church yes. uh, Presbyterian. And we do... I'll have to say we do love uh, Isabel and uh, Sophia and Tabia and David. They are uh, very special, and uh, we pray for them uh, regularly, uh, as well as as the ministry there. And so uh, for the next episode, we will consider uh, the ministry of Cirque, uh, and uh, you'll learn what that uh, means in our next episode. Uh, Join us next time on Between the Times.